0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we start in verse 8. Paul says, for even... If I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. In verses 8 through 11, um, I kind of just gave it the caption of what's genuine repentance. You know, that's what we're striving for, you know, that's what we need in order to be saved. Or in order to be sanctified, we need to know what genuine repentance is. Uh, Paul the Apostle had written the letter to the Corinthians, and he wrote a severe letter of correction. Um, A lot of people believe that he was referring to his first letter, that first letter to the Corinthians, a letter of correction. Uh, I tend to believe, like others, that it's a second letter that we don't have. It's something in between first And 2 Corinthians. If you remember, Paul had planted the church in Corinth. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. He was there for about a year and a half. But afterwards, he wanted to keep the feast in Jerusalem. He wanted to go and visit his home church in Antioch. And then he would go out and he would plant more churches around the world. And so he left Corinth. After he left, the church got ugly. Uh, Judaizers crept in, planting false doctrine and turning their hearts against Paul. And so uh, he visited them. Uh, they didn't change, and then he wrote them a letter of severe correction. Uh, if you read second Corinthians two, one through four, it tells us the whole drama. It, it just uh, it was there in the church. It was heartbreaking and filled with so much sorrow and anguish and weeping and affliction. Here he is writing that letter to them. And you know, it must have been a, a very heavy letter. So much so that we read there in verse 8 that he initially regretted writing it and sending it to them. You know, it's interesting, in these verses that we read, these first few passages, he mentions how it made them sorrow six times. Six times. Other translations use the word, you know, it made them sad or it hurt them or it upset them. And, And now Paul, however, rejoices. So how did that happen? I mean, here he is, just bombed, hurt, they're sad, they're weeping, there's anguish, there's tears, there's sorrow. How is it transformed into joy? And the answer is repentance. There was genuine repentance, you know? And that's where I, I want to just really encourage you guys in today and talk to you about today that that word is so important for us as Christians. You know, it's so important. You know, what ends up happening is when we hear the the law or the word of God, we hear conviction, we hear correction. Um, When we uh, understand what sin is, now we have a choice. Will we repent? Will we really repent? You know, When I was reading through this yesterday and and just actually been going through it all week and just just meditating on it, I was just thinking about how, you know, we can sit here in today's study and we could think about how so-and-so needs to repent because he's such a bad person and, you know, if you want to, go for it. But, you know, God's not going to bless you. What you got to do, what I have to do is I have to search my own heart. Is there any sin in my own life? Is there any sin in my own life? Because... You know, um, I don't want anything to get in the way of the work that God wants to do. You know, yesterday, and I'll, I'll share this with you guys. It's kind of weird. I hope I don't gross you out. But uh, I was in my um, office, and there was a big, fat fly that was flying around. And they call them flies for a reason because it just kept flying, man. And it was flying and flying and flying, and I closed my door, and I got the fly swatter, and I said, you're not going to get into the congregation, buddy, you know. And, uh, and I was just hunting this fly. I thought, this is kind of what hunting is, huh? You're just like waiting for it to stop so you can shoot it or swat it or whatever. And it just took forever. And just waiting and looking and just, man, you know. And the Lord kind of said, Manny, that's how you should be with sin is there any sin in my life you know let this be personal you know for us today you know because everybody has to to do this and and deal with god so that he can bless your life in ways that you can't even begin to imagine do you know the goodness the the blessings the miracles the life the the love the power that god has for you if for me if we would get rid of the sin in our life i mean man there's no telling what god can do but see that the thing that that i do that we might tend to do as a church is we play with it we don't think it's that big of a deal and there's not that that genuine repentance and even for some here today you're not really saved you know you come to church and you do it a lot and you know you come every week maybe twice a week and one day if you were to die in the condition that you're in today you wouldn't go to heaven and you're like well i'll do that next year i was reading a story of george whitefield and it was in his journal that he mentioned during his first voyage to Georgia that the cook on the ship had a drinking problem, and so you know the 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 preacher George Whitefield he, he you know he taught him about this and and uh, and the cook you know didn't want to turn from his sin. He boasted that he would be wicked until the last two years of his life, and then he said he would get right with God. Guess what happened? He died six hours later. See, today is the day of salvation. If you know, if you're here and you're like, well, you know, I go to church and I did that that altar call thing and I prayed that prayer, but I don't there's no transformation, I don't really feel a hunger or a change or a thirst after God, then it's because you haven't repented of your sins, and that's why today's study, I think, can be used by God in such a tremendous way. You know, the reason why these guys were able to repent is because they experienced a godly sorrow. You know, look again there in verse 8. For even if I had made you sorry with my letter, I, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now rejoice. Not that you were made Sorry but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. And so there they are, here we are, and we hear those words of correction, you know, that we need to hear, whatever it might be, the words of truth from someone who really cares. You know, if you, if you choose to stay on the road that you're on, that road, and you know it, it's wrong, then you will suffer the consequences of your sin. For the non-believer, it's judgment after you die. Judgment, it says in Hebrews 9.27. For the believer, it's a form of judgment called discipline. Discipline while you live. You won't be blessed by God the way that he wants to bless you. And so, you know, you hear those words of warning or you get that letter after you've been busted. And then what happens? What do you do? Oh, prayerfully, we repent for salvation. We repent for sanctification. You know, it's not enough to say, well, I, I, I'm sorry, I feel bad. It's not enough to cry. You know, it's not, it's not enough to say, well, I'll try harder next time. No, according to God's word, we really need to repent. You know, I read this little thing right here. It says, Noah's message from the steps going up to the ark was not something good is going to happen to you. Amos was not confronted by the high priest of Israel for proclaiming confession is possession. Jeremiah was not put into the pit for preaching, I'm okay, you're okay. Daniel was not put into the lion's den for telling people possibility thinking will move mountains. John the Baptist was not forced to preach in the wilderness and eventually beheaded because he he preached and said, Smile, God loves you. The two prophets of the tribulation will not be killed for preaching God is in heaven and all is right with the world. Instead, what was the message of all these men of God? Simple. It was one word. Repent. See, and that's what we need to hear, and that's what we need to understand. Like, what does that really mean? You know, that's the message, uh, in case you're wondering, when John the Baptist came in Matthew chapter 3, in verses 1 through 2, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, in Matthew 4, 17, from that time he began to preach and say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus said this, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Perish. You know, later on, when he sent the disciples out, it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he called them to himself and began to send them out two by two in verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And later on, Paul, in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, he said, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked and began to send and overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. It's interesting, the Greek word translated repentance is the changing of one's thinking regarding a matter. It refers to a change of mind and beliefs that always lead to a change of behavior. Real repentance from the Christian perspective means a turning in the mind that leads to a turning from sin and turning to and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, let me share with you guys some things that I think are really helpful in this because this is one that let me tell you something man, you you don't want to get wrong. You know, because God will bless you. You know, and it's so cool when the Holy Spirit works in your life And he gives you, not that you're you're sinless, but you you begin to sin less. Not that you're perfect, because we're not going to be perfect until we're heaven, but we're proper. There will be a certain consistency. There will be a certain, like Romans chapter 6 talks about it, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. There will be a certain consistency in your walk and your behavior. And so, you know, I came across this article I thought was really helpful uh, from a man named Casey McCauley from Harvest Christian Fellowship. And let me give you guys some words to write down I think that can help with repentance. God, I want to I hunt after that, that sin and I want to kill it. I want to get real. I want to get right. I want to be blessed. I want to see you move in my heart, in this ministry, in this church, in this community in this state and country, in the world that we live in, because I know, Lord, that's all that you're looking for. Is there anyone willing to lift up clean hands and to walk with a pure heart? Let that be me. And so, number one, the first word is recognition of sin. Recognition of sin. I would probably use the word confess. You know, confess confess. You know, that thing that you do that's wrong, it's not just a mistake. It's not just a mishap or a blooper or a blunder. You know, call it for what it is. It's sin against God. Psalm 51 verse 3 says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. 1 John one nine it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the word confess, just in case you're thinking, well man, does that mean I need to go to a priest or someone? No. Really, the heart of it is just the the Greek word homologeo. It means to agree with God. That's sin. You know, to look at a chick, to check her out, to lust after her, is sin. You see, for you not to pray, is sin. Those are sins of omission. You neglect your wife, you neglect your kids, you neglect them, it's sin. That one beer, it's sin. You have to identify those areas of your life that are sin, otherwise you'll you'll never change. There has to be a confession of it. I agree with you, Holy Spirit, that this is not right in my life. You know, you guys know that there's no such thing as a, as a as a little white lie, right? You know, exaggeration. You know what that is? Lying. You know what the Bible says? Liars, they don't go to heaven. So number one is a recognition of sin, a confession. Number two is a remorse for sin. It's a remorse for sin. And I would probably use the word grieve. This is... What we see here in 2 Corinthians, they hurt, they ached, they wept, they sorrowed over their sin. And, you know, it wasn't just, well, I'm sorry that I got busted. You know, it's when you're sorry that you have sinned against God. Now, are you following me so far? Because if you're not, you need to get saved right now. Let me me lead you in a prayer, okay? I mean, a lot of people are like, they're like, they're they're not paying attention. They're not interested in God's word. Something's not right, you guys. This is why we're here. We're not here to do what we do normally on Sundays. We're here to to meet with God. You have to recognize the sin. You have to grieve over your sin. There has to be that element of remorse. I like what it says in Psalm 38, verse 18, For I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. Are you in anguish? Over it uh, 1 corinthians five two and you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, there needs to be that mourning ephesians four thirty and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed with the day for the day of redemption. You see when we sin, it grieves God, and and if it grieves God, it should grieve us, and so I want to encourage you guys. In one sense, it's like an objective assignment. It's just black and white. What, what's the sin in my life, Lord? Identify it, recognize it, confess it. Number two, weep over it. Because it breaks God's heart. It should break our heart. I like what one guy, Thomas Watson, he said, he said, till sin be bitter, Christ will never be sweet. You know, there's a really beautiful picture of this. If you would, go back to Luke chapter 7. I love this story. In Luke 7, and in verse 36, and one of the Pharisees asked him, speaking of Jesus, to eat with him, and he went to, the Pharisee's house, and sat down to eat. And I uh, was thinking he's doing pretty good, man. I, the Lord's over in my house having dinner, or this whatever religious leader is, and thinking he's scoring some points. But behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. And so she's obviously involved in sex trafficking, right? When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, doing what? Weeping. Weeping. Okay, I don't want to get weird, but I do want to ask you a question. Do you ever weep over your sins? Do you ever just sit there with the Lord in His holiness And your honesty and your wretchedness and weep. Have you ever wept over your sins and the heartache that they've caused to God and to others and to yourself? I mean, here's this woman. She finds out that Jesus is there. And I'm thinking that probably what happened is one of those times Jesus was doing his sermons out there. And she was there and she got saved. She got touched by the Holy Spirit. And then she comes and she finds him and she's weeping over her sins. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And then she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. You see, that's salvation. That's salvation. That's repentance. And unfortunately, what I see a lot of times in the church is that people are not there. They're not radical like that. They're not real like that. They haven't really experienced godly sorrow over their sins. And they're not weeping. I mean, this is just so beautiful what she does. You know, the long hair it speaks of her glory. And there she is, you know, just, man, wiping her his feet, and and kissing them, and anointing him, and so in verse 39, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a, a sinner. And you know, for us who are saved, we would say to this guy, man, if you had half a clue of what a real Christian is, you would be weeping with her, rejoicing of what's going on right here, but you don't have a clue because you're a Pharisee. I mean, she is just beautiful, what she's doing. And so Jesus answered and he said to him, Simon, I have something to ask you. And so he said, teacher, and said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, Well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, You have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman. So he's looking at the woman, and he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with the fragrant oil Therefore, here it is, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. They're forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? We know who it was, huh? It was God. And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, you guys, one of my primary responsibilities as a servant of the Lord is to do my best to present to you the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that when you die, you'll go to heaven. And it would break my heart if you sat in this sanctuary week after week and died and went to hell because you never repented of your sins and you keep doing the same thing, mistreating your wife over and over and over again, and you think you're going to go to heaven? You need to get with God, and you need to repent of your sins. You need to recognize it for what it is, and you need to grieve over it. You need to weep over it. You need to ask God, Lord show me what this looks like from your perspective. You know like Peter when he wept, it was true tears of repentance and 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 God dealt with him, God restored him. God can do that in your life. But we're here today because we need to come to that place of salvation. I mean, you might be able to talk the talk and you got the bumper sticker and the t-shirt and you go to church, but you're not on the road that leads to heaven. Or maybe for some of us who are Christians, you don't realize the bountiful, beautiful blessings that God wants to lavish upon your life. But because you're not weeping over your wickedness, God can't bless you. I'm telling you this, and it's worth it. And I know it's difficult, but like I was looking for that fly, and I said, Lord, I'm going to get this fly, <laughs> man. I'm hunting. I don't want any sin in my life. I want to pray the way I'm supposed to pray. And I want, my kids are 19 and 21, but I'm not done parenting them. As a matter of fact, it's, it's taking more time now because they're, they're at this age, it's a transition in their life. They, they're going to become now adults. And I don't want to mess up with that. I mean, it could be anything, you know? I mean, I don't know. You know, the Lord will show you. You know, I went to a seminar this last Saturday as a chaplain, and we were talking about all these shootings. All these shootings. You guys know that this is increasing, right? It's getting crazy. I mean, now we're coming to the point where officers are telling us four times a month now. It used to be once a month and, you know now it's almost like every day and you know what they they shared and I'm not just going to share this with you guys and you can do with it what you want but he said that a large part of the reason for these shootings are the video games the video games that kids are playing and they're what are they doing they're shooting they're shooting people they're shooting them and you know what? You're going to see this later. Sin always wants more. That's not enough. I don't want to just play the video game. I want to try it. If I were you, and you got to take this to the Lord, if I were you, I wouldn't let your kids play those games. But that's between you and the Lord. Identify sin. Identify it. Okay? There needs to be the recognition and then the remorse and then the the resentment. That's the third thing. And I would use the word hate. Hate sin. Uh, Psalm 97.10, it says, You who love the Lord, hate evil. You know, you don't hate the sinner, but you hate sin. Don't necessarily hate yourself. Know who you are in Christ. He loves you. Love the Lord and man, He loves you so. Know that, but hate sin. You know, um, it's just a logical reaction, really, to the wickedness of sin and its damning effects. You know, true hatred for sin and repentance is a sure sign that godly grief has occurred. For the natural person does not hate sin but loves it. Some may hate certain sins, but those who repent hate their own sin because they see it for what it is. It's rebellion against God, and it nailed Jesus to the cross. All sin, all sin should be hated. All sin. And I, I used to get blessed by one mom, and she would tell me, can you please pray for my children that they would hate drugs? And I thought that was beautiful. You know, if you don't know like exactly what to pray, maybe pray stuff like that. We need to hate sin. Look at what it's done. Look at the heartache. Look at the hell that sin has done. Don't tolerate it in your life. Not a single speck of it. It doesn't belong. But I'm afraid that so many Christians, they live with it and they're okay with it. And you say you love the Lord. One person said, in order to love our Savior, we must loathe our sin. The fourth thing is, is removal of sin. Or, you know, I'll, I'll use a couple of words, you know, stop it. Stop it. Or, or remove it. Here's another gross thing. I like to use gross illustrations. But every once in a while I get these bumps in the back of my head. I don't know exactly what they are. But uh, I, I, they're like, I don't know, I don't want to use the word pimple, but anyways, they're back there. And I say, sweetheart, can you get some tweezers and remove the ingrown hairs that are there? And you just have to remove it. Right? You just got to stop it. You got to start it. Like I was telling you earlier, if your sin is prayerlessness, then you better start praying. Because any type of sin, according to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it separates you from God. You'll never have a healthy walk with God when there's sin in your life. You have to remove it. Isaiah 1, 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. See, the resenting of sin prompts a removing of sin. Remember this, sin will not remove itself from you. You must remove sin from yourself. And by the grace of God, working hand in hand with the heart of man, we wash ourselves, we make ourselves clean and remove the evil deeds, and we stop sinning by no longer allowing it in and to have dominion over us. This is what happens when we repent. And then the last thing is this, man, if you can do all those things where you recognize your sin and you you grieve over it and you hate it and you get rid of it, then you can rejoice. You can rejoice because you'll be forgiven by God. You can be forgiven today, right here, right now. The blood of Jesus will wash away all your sins and save you. The blood of Jesus will cover us as Christians. It says, and if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, right here, right now. It's so cool to know that we can have that Forgiveness, you know, and and again, you know, it's kind of funny when you talk about repentance. You're like, oh, he's talking about repent, using the word repent today. Some people will never dare to use that word. Some so-called preachers would never use that word. But look at how beautiful it is. It brings us to forgiveness. You know, some people don't like the word repent. They think it's too harsh or negative. But we need to know that in the end, it, the results are. Are purely positive. True repentance leads to forgiveness, it leads to freedom. It leads to justification and joy. It leads to salvation. And and when you repent, man, you're like, okay, I'm done, I'm real. Um, man, it's so cool, the burden that's lifted. That you can't help but come out of repentance. With that, uh, one guy said this he says, Just as we cannot enter into true repentance without sorrow for our guilt, we cannot emerge from true repentance without joy for God's grace. So, does that mean that everyone who is sorry is repentant? What do you guys think? Mm-mm. Look at verse 10, chapter 7 and verse 10, 2 Corinthians. It says, For godly sorrow produces Repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, you'll never be sorry for being truly sorry in a godly way, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Death. And this death is both physical and it's spiritual. It's temporary and it's everlasting. It's a death that's now and forever. Why? Because you won't get right with God. Don't tell me that you can't. Don't tell me, well, this happened to me when I was a little boy. Don't make excuses. Don't offer reasons. You have everything you need to repent. You have his word. You have his spirit. you got working inside of you. None of us here has to live in sin. Because if you do, the Bible says you will die. You will die in your sins. And you know that the death, you know they're, they're crying and they're trying and they're feeling bad and they're weeping bitter tears. But man, a lot of times it's not true repentance. It's not godly sorrow. I mean, if it's simply the sorrow of the world, then you get bummed that you got caught, that you got busted. You know, that now this has to happen, that I have to pay the fine or do the time. I can't have a good time, so-called good time anymore. And if it's simply the sorrow of the world, then rather than leading to repentance, it's actually leading to death. And I can give you example after example of individuals that are in hell now that shouldn't be there. I mean, Esau was raised in a godly family, so to speak, and, you know, relatively speaking, but the Bible says that when Esau heard the words of the father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and he said to his father, bless me also, O oh, my father, bless me, but he could not be blessed even though he wept, because his tears, his tears weren't real. Or we can talk about Saul, such a man with so much potential. You know, and dealing with David, and dealing with other things. You know, offering those words, crying. We read about it in 1 Samuel 24, verse 16. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice? My son David, and Saul lifted up his voice and wept. But he never changed. Later on in 1 Samuel 26, 21, Saul said, I have sinned. I've sinned, said the right words, but he never changed. And there's Judas. I'll talk about somebody who knew better. I mean, he had walked with Jesus Christ. And he saw the miracles, the signs, the wonders, love incarnate. And he betrayed the Lord. And afterwards, he felt bad about it. We read in Matthew 27.3, Judas' betrayer, seeing that he had, condemned, he had been condemned, was remorseful, brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, and said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, so what? What's that to us? You see it. You take care of it. It's got nothing to do with us. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. See, you just want to make sure it's not that kind of sorrow. Because that kind of sorrow it leads it leads to death. You see, we need genuine repentance. And like I said earlier, you know, try your best not to think of other people right now. Just try your best to search your own heart. I don't want any sin in my life. I want to grow as a husband. You know, and they might be little things, but they're not little things. When I bring my wife home a bulletin that hasn't been folded yet, she appreciates it. And when I don't, it's sin because the Holy Spirit told me to, or whatever, washing dishes, or um, just doing things, taking a little walk with her, reading the Bible with her, praying with her. I don't want any sin in my life. You shouldn't want any sin in your life. You shouldn't slander people. You shouldn't gossip. Because those things, they get in the way. See, we begin by looking, first of all, at at, at genuine repentance. And, And look what it leads to in verse 11. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, and all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Now, undoubtedly what Paul is talking about here is that you read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 about the man who was in sexual sin. And the church didn't deal with it. There was no form of church discipline whatsoever. As a matter of fact, they were proud of the fact that they had someone in their church that was living in an incestuous relationship, right? And so uh, Paul writes to them, he says, you guys have to deal with this. You guys have to deal with this. You guys have to deal with this, right? And that's what it produced. It produced and pushed them to the point that they dealt with it. And it produced things like, for example, diligence. And that right there speaks of an earnest, eagerness, to take care of something, a clearing of themselves. Up to that point, they were guilty. Now they were making themselves to be innocent as they dealt with it. Indignation here, the, the word right here, it, it means uh, indignation, the shame wrought upon the church. And so, you know, fear, uh, uh, that's a good thing to have when you have the fear of God, right? Later we're going to see in verse 15 that they move with a healthy fear and trembling, vehement desire, um, that word right there means longing, and it comes to that point, probably primarily where they're finally now they're longing for God. Some say even longing for Paul. And then the word zeal right there, it stirs up the keenness for the faith, an excitement, a zeal for God, vindication. It means that you're ready to punish the offense. You're ready to deal with the sin. And then when looking at all this right here, it has the idea. I've seen that justice is done by bringing the guilty person to an ecclesiastical discipline. And so what happens is this, that, that your life, if you're, if you're repentant, your wife will see it, your husband will see it, your kids will see it, your friends will see it. There will be something different on the outside because something different is going on now on the inside. And there, it, was a, it, was, it became, you know, a changed church. And Paul was so blessed by that. It was genuine repentance. How did it happen? It happened through genuine care. Look at verse 12. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who had suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, because when you're dealing with issues like that and church discipline, you know, it's not that Paul didn't care about that guy or care about the person that that guy wronged. It's not that he didn't care about them individually it's just that he knew that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And he said, I, "I dealt with it. yeah, it was for them, but it was, I want you guys, as a church to know how much I care for you. Because if that, if that right here is not dealt with, it will destroy. The entire congregation. You know, and and that's why, you know, we have to deal with these things. It was a, a genuine repentance that was provoked through a genuine care. Paul never gave up on them, he just cared. He wrote the letter, he did it with tears, he did it with sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, he did it in obedience. And God blessed. And that's the heart that that we need to have, you know, to really care. It's interesting, that Greek word right there is the same word translated diligence in verse 11. And it it tends, you know, it deals with eagerness and haste and earnestness and accomplishing things in God's agenda. It's translated at once, or most frequently, um, you know, diligence. Usually the type of people that really care, the diligent disciples, are the ones who don't sit on it. They don't drag their feet. They don't wait for it to get worse. And it's not necessarily that Paul didn't care for the one who did the wrong or wrong, but he just knows the way it works. Uh, When Achan had sin in the camp under the tent, it brought the people of God to a place where they could not be a victorious people. See, God sees all this, all this is in the sight of God. And so, you know, my, my prayer, you guys, today is that there would be genuine repentance. Stimulated today even, and I can say this, and, and you know, you guys don't have to believe me if, if you don't want to. But, um, you know, we care for you. And I, and I know I speak for the pastors here and, and the leaders here, and I could speak for many of you here. We care. I mean, we may not be able to do everything you want us to do. And I know we fall short. We're not able to do everything God wants us to do. But we care for you. And my prayer is that that care would bring us, me, all of us, to total repentance where we would become a congregation holy unto God, not sloppy with sin, but set apart for Him. Because you want to know what will happen if we do that? After that genuine care, which led to genuine repentance, there was genuine joy. We close in verse 13 through 16. It says, Therefore we have been Comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed, but as we spoke all things to you, even in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you, and he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. I mean, he was like, he was like dancing, you know? Uh, F.B. Myers said, joy is peace dancing. Can you guys dance? Some of you guys can, some of you guys can't, right? Man, but I could just picture, you know how Snoopy does it? You guys ever seen Snoopy? Like, just... Joy, joy, the the genuine care led to genuine repentance and led to genuine joy, you know, and it's just so cool when you read the story right here, the word rejoice was found earlier in verse 9, and Paul said, man, we have been, in verse 13, comforted, and that word, it speaks of being encouraged, it's that word parakaleo, where God comes alongside and he speaks those words of encouragement all this drama brought all the disciples down, but the genuine care followed by genuine repentance led to genuine joy. And, and he kind of says, we're okay, you know, since you're okay. We're okay because we're okay, so to speak. Right? He was just so happy about that. And he rejoiced exceedingly more because when Titus had arrived there, that they, were, they, were, they accepted his apostolic authority having been sent by Paul the Apostle. And for us, the authority is not man, it's the Word. It's the word of God. When we when we see you under the authority of God's word, it brings joy to our hearts. That's what he's saying. We're so blessed that when you received him, you were like obedient and you received him, and then he was so refreshed by that. He was so blessed when he saw your response as an obedient congregation. You know that word refreshed. I love the word and In the Greek language, it speaks of resting. It speaks of, you know, um, it even has the, the, you know, we kind of get that word, when you have a hot day and you ever like get the water uh, spray and, oh man, that feels good. That's kind of what it is, you know. I've always loved that passage. If you want to turn there real quick, uh, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. He says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of what? Refreshing may come from where? The presence of the Lord. You know, that's really everything that we're talking about today. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And then when you become a Christian, that times of refreshing, you want to know where it comes? It comes because we're in the presence of the Lord. He inhabits our praises. And when we gather together, He's with us. And He lives inside of us. And so Paul says back in 2 Corinthians, I'm not ashamed when I boasted to Titus and I told him about the body there in Corinth. Because the bottom line he says there that we've always spoken the truth to you and we also spoke the truth about you. And Titus found it all to be true. And so in the end, he just says right there in verse 15, His affections are greater for you. He remembers the obedience of you all, how with notice fear and trembling you received him. Steve May said probably the most important passage for pastors and leaders is that passage over in Isaiah 66, verse 2. But On this one, I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Do you tremble at his word? Humble. That's where God wants us to be. So Paul, so cool the journey, he went from rebuking to regretting to rejoicing. And in order to be used by God that they might be saved or sanctified, he first had to be used by God to make them sorry. And that's where we close today, you guys. I, I just, you know, I don't want you to, to, you know, think that you're saved if you're not. You know, and I always tell people, well, why do you come to church? Oh, I want to go hang out with my friends. Okay, cool. Well, one day if you keep that attitude, you're going to hang out with them in hell. (laughs) Why do you go to church? Because I have to. One day you're going to have to go to hell. And something's got to change. Why do you go to church? I want to find out the juicy, juicy. The latest. No, we're here to seek the Lord. We're here to get right with God. And sometimes, you know, you hear a message and it, it kind of hurts and it, and it makes you sorry. But the only reason is that so it can make you saved and it can make you sanctified. There's sometimes where sorry is good. You know, one of my favorite games in playing with my kids is the game Sorry. Have you guys ever uh, played that game, Sorry? Isn't it a fun game? And the more you're sorry, the more you win, right? <laughs> That's kind of how it is with a, with a godly sorrow. Weep over your sins. Please. I know you got a lot of things to do. Hey, Manny, I got to wash the cat today. Well, after you wash the cat, you know, you go somewhere and you get on your knees. And you pray uh, Psalm, you know, one thirty nine. Search me, O God, and know me, and try me, and see if there's any wicked way in me. And then weep over your sins. Treat your wife right. Treat your husband right. Treat your kids with respect. Live right in the church. You know, this last week, and this is the last thing, because I know you guys are giving me dirty looks. <laughs> I saw we saw a movie. It's called Inside Out. Any of you guys see that movie, Inside Out? And uh, it's it was you know I, I saw the the previews and I thought, wow, that's got a lot of potential. I'm gonna check out that movie, and I and I and I liked it. But you want to know what what the what the premise of the movie? I mean, it's not gonna win an Oscar or anything. Don't don't get me wrong, but. You know, there's the, the, the movie just talks about the, the young girl coming to that place now where she's dealing with her emotions a little more, and, and it's no longer just joy. All of a sudden, this other character comes in called Sorrow. And, and, the, and the movie is like, well, no, you can only have one or the other. You can't have both. And they try to make them mutually exclusive. But then in the end, what they discover is that sorrow and joy can work together. And and I see that principle just woven throughout all of Scripture. That sorrow and joy, they can work together to accomplish the will of God in all of our lives. And so let's let's just go to Him, you guys. Let's trust Him. If you don't know the Lord today, if you're not sure where you stand then you accept Christ today as the Lord and Savior of your life. Turn from your sins and trust in Him. If you do know the Lord and you've been messing around or you've been going half half-hearted, then let let today be the day where you say, "I'm all in." Let me pray with you, Lord. I thank you so much for your Word, your love, your grace. And I and I of course I, I want everyone here to be saved I want them to be sanctified I want them to be blessed in the fullness of the blessing that you would provide for their life so I pray that for them but I also pray that for me Lord I pray that today would just be an epic day and you work in every heart here and you make us real. We love you. We thank you. We acknowledge you for who you are. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're El Shaddai, Almighty God. I thank you so much, Jesus, for your love for us. Bless your beautiful people And I pray with all my heart. And I ask in Jesus' name.